picture this. The bell rings. 3,500 kids rushing the halls. You got 20 feet wide hallways. Everybody's pushing, shoving. Damn near kicking. Now, today was a normal day. Woke up, got ready, went to school. I got to endure periods four through nine. That's all. And then I went to my job. It was a welding gig set up through the vocational school. Now, as I went through school, I honestly enjoyed all my interactions. I was even interested in learning. But I could tell that something was a little iffy. Now, after lunch, the bell rang again. Everybody and their mothers rush in the halls. I am frantically gathering my things to get there quickly. I get to work in 25 minutes. I show up, suit up, shut up, put in my music, and I get to work. You know, a wise man once said, when the hood drops, the bullshit stops. I just did that. Worked. Now, about an hour and 45 minutes into work, I got a review. It just so turns out that my boss is trying to figure out where I'm at. So I sit down in front of him. And we're talking, he asked me how I think my performance is overall. Of course I respond. There's always room for improvement. No sooner than later, he spoke the worst six words a young man would ever want to hear. These are those six words. As a man, you are weak. Be a man. Be a man. Grow some balls. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show, hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! Welcome. I am Neville D'Angelo. My guest today is our youngest producer, 19-year-old David Digidio. Our topic is one of vital importance to every young man, parent, coach, and mentor. I'll cut right to the core. What makes a man a man? Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So this very young man, David, came directly up to me, looked me straight in the eye and said, Now that I know who you really are, I'd like to spend some time with you. Can we meet? <laughs> I chuckled. So you think you know who I really am, I said to him. Yes, he said, I did my research. This should be interesting, I said. Yes, we will meet. We met at a coffee shop in this heighty-tighty little place and through his presentation bit by bit, a fascinating young man was unfolding right 
before my eyes. He had many questions. But then came this big question. Neville, what makes a man a man? Good question. Just in time, I said. With hardly any direction or instruction, I said, how about you go into the street, see what kind of answer you can discover out there, come back on the journey, and share what you find with us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, David Digidio. David, the mic is yours. Tell us what you did and what you found. After you've done that, I have a juicy question for you. Never. Yeah. I went people hunting for a hundred individuals mm -hmm. through the shops and the streets. I then categorized their answers. Okay. Here are the top four answers that men gave me. Twenty men told me action describes a man. Mm -hmm. Twelve men answered they don't know. Nine men told me a penis describes a man. Mm -hmm. And seven men said beverage choice makes a man a man. Here are the top four answers women gave me. Mm -hmm. 20 women told me they do not know what makes a man a man. Hmm. 18 women said it is their action that makes a man a man. Now remember, Neville, these are my categories. All right. mm -hmm. Nine women told me it is emotion. And three women answered, strength makes a man a man. So remember, Neville, those are only the top four answers from both men and women. Mm -hmm. There were several other answers that, of course, went all over the map. But here are the top three shared answers. Action, emotion, and do not know. Now, you just told us that um, one of the categories was beverage choices. So when the men answered, what were they really telling you? That is correct. Uh, for summary, we got rum, mm -hmm. vodka, and last but not least, espresso. <laughs> Can you give us an example of an answer that falls under action? One in particular that tickled my fancy was, a man must take responsibility not only for himself, but others. He is brave, strong, courageous, and he has the utmost respect for women. Now, David, uh, there are a number of reasons I want to mull over that answer. But uh, tell me, what was your experience like conducting this research? Neville, to be honest with you, it was quite interesting. Mm. What I discovered was the true value of having a sense of purpose mm. and the reality of rejection. Mm. Now, when I say sense of purpose, I should probably say a little something like this. I'm genuinely curious and I wanted to know on a deeper level how others understood this question. Okay. When I say the reality of rejection, you know, no one likes rejection. Mm -hmm. During this process, I encountered it mm -hmm. and I learned how to overcome it. I'd say I have four takeaways from this experience. One, do not avoid the inevitable. Two, challenge yourself. Three, understanding. Four, flexibility. Let me see if I get this. You said... Do not avoid the inevitable, challenge yourself, understanding, and flexibility, right? That is correct. Tell me what they mean. 
When I say do not avoid the inevitable, I simply mean begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. What that allows me to do is focus on my destination so when roadblocks come about, they're easier to hurdle. Now, challenge yourself. Just ask. You'll be surprised with all of their answers. I was. My third takeaway is understanding. To me, that means to be open and be curious. My fourth takeaway is flexibility. No matter how strong an entity may be, such as the Golden Gate Bridge, it still needs to remain a little flexible. Now, we're not talking to Gallup and Gertie. However, I'm simply saying just be able to accept a rhythm to your schedule that is not normally applied. Now, David, I have a question for you. But first, I want you to listen to this presentation by Joe Ehrman, which is being reviewed by over 300,000 other folks. It is entitled, Be a Man. For those of you listening to this radio show or podcast, you'll find a link to this very video on thejourney.riosports.com. Click on the shows called Just a Question, or you can click on David's new question. You'll find the video. It's a TED Talk video by Joe Ehrman, and it's entitled Be a Man. David, listen to this. talk about three words today. Three words that are a phrase that have become one of the most culturally destructive uh, mandates in this culture. Now, if we could change these words, we would change the world. But in order to rewire and reframe these words, you need some kind of laboratory. You need some kind of delivery system to make us practical. So I'm going to take my three words and I'm going to dump them into the world of sports. Why sports? Well, think about the role that sports plays in the globe and in America. Sports will engage more individuals, more families, more communities in a shared activity than any cultural activity, organization, or religion in America. It has become the secular religion of this society. And there's a transmission of values, the transmission of this phrase that does tremendous amounts of, of, uh, of destruction. Second reason, sports... Historically, sports have always been a metaphor for social change. Until recently, when we've moved into this win-at-all-cost kind of mentality, sports have always been a way to integrate immigrants into American culture. Every ethnic group that's ever been ghettoized, sports has created a way out of that ghetto. When you talk about civil rights, when you talk about women's rights, when you talk about human rights, you think of the role that sports and athletics have helped to play to bring them into the political and mainstream consciousness. I want to take my redefined uh, phrase and have sports move that out. So what is the phrase? I want to say it's the three scariest words that every man receives in his lifetime. And the phrase is to be a man. And I'd ask every man listening to this, you think about the context when you were young and someone told you to be a man. 
it was almost always in the context of stop acting that way. Stop with the tears. Stop with the emotions. Don't be some kind of mama's boy, some kind of sissy. Be a man. And what young boys are taught at a very early age, that in order to be a man, they've got to separate their hearts from their heads. Boys are taught that to have emotions, to show them, to share them, to emote them. Somehow those things are considered signs of masculine failure. So we have this massive repression of the very thing that makes us human, makes us contributors in this world. So let me show you what the socialization process looks like in America. Five, six, seven years old, every boy is given that mandate. Then this enculturation process gives every boy three fundamental lies about what it means to be a man. The same lies that were fed to me when I was a boy are being fed to boys today. And the first lie is this. And I think every boy in America learns this by the time they're seven, eight, nine years old. They learn this on ball fields and playgrounds and during recess all over their community. That is, as a culture, we associate masculinity with athletic ability or size or strength or some kind of skill set that allows you to compete on that playground and win. So what happens for those boys that have athletic interests and abilities that can catch the down and out, hit the hanging curve, those boys are elevated on that playground. They're given a little more value, a little more worth. They're even ascribed a little more masculinity. And what I want to say, that is an absolute lie. Being a man doesn't have a single thing to do with athletic ability, size, strength, or the cat capacity to compete and win. Second lie every boy in America learned today by the time they're in junior high school, and that is we associate masculinity with issues of sexual conquest. What's it mean to be a man? It means you can bring some young girl alongside of yourself and then use her. Use her to either gratify some kind of physical need or use her to validate some kind of masculine insecurity. That certainly doesn't make you a man. That makes you a user of other human beings. Then later on, you get the third line in this culture, and that is we associate masculinity with issues of economic success. As though you can measure what a man is based on his job title, his position, power, or the amount of possessions someone has accumulated. That, too, is a fundamental lie. The problem is we live in a society where all kinds of men associate their self-worth with their net worth. Now, I could take those three lies and tie them into just about every psychosocial problem we have in this country. And I don't care whether it's girls with babies, boys with guns, immorality in boardrooms, or the beatdown women take in America. These three lies are embedded in almost every advertisement that's connected to sports that's directed at men. We've got to figure out how do you redefine, reframe this term of what it means to be a man. So once you're given those uh, socialization process, every boy's given the mandate, that then produces a thing called alexithymia. Alexithymia is a mental health designation. It's a Latin word. Ah means without, lex means words, thymia is emotions and feelings. It's an inability to put your emotions and feelings into words. The American Psychological Association would say 80% of American men suffer from some form of alexithymia. Where does it come from? It comes from the fact that when we were five, six years old, we were told to stop with the emotions, stop with the feelings, never given permission to emote, to develop a vocabulary, to even name our feelings as well. And this is where most of the social problems begin. Because if you don't understand your own feelings, your own emotions, you'll never understand the feelings of emotions of another human being. 
Self-understanding is critical to understanding. This creates an empathy deficit disorder, an inability to understand what other people are feeling and what causes those feelings. Uh, this is the precursor for bullying, for hazing, for dating abuse, gender violence, for violence all over America. So this then creates kind of a, uh, you have the socialization, the mandate, you have the alexithymia, and then that creates kind of a covert masculine depression. It's covert, all you see are the three footprints. The first thing you see there is isolation, the tremendous number of men that do not know how to enter into meaningful relationships with another human being. And whenever you see the moral failure of men in media almost every day, it's always because they lack one meaningful relationship to give some kind of accountability, some process with the temptations, the issues that people are dealing with. Second thing you see is substance abuse. I don't think there's anything more painful than feeling like you don't quite measure up as a man. And given the cultural definition, You'll never have a long enough athletic career. You'll never sleep with enough women or make enough money to ever feel fulfilled and satisfied by that. So men start to medicate the pain of not feeling man enough. Alcohol, drugs, sex, materialism, pornography, whatever men need to attach to it in order to feel secure about their own masculinity. Then the third thing, footprint up there is violence. America is one of the most violent nations in the world. Men have been using violence to get over for generations. But you think about the violence perpetrated on girls and women in this country. Uh, gender violence is a male crime of power and control. Uh, uh, men have been using violence, and violence is a, nothing more than unprocessed grief. And as I said, that boys that can't cry shoot bullets. So if that's the lies of masculinity, then what does it mean to be a man? How do you define masculinity? When we tell a boy to be a man, we ought to have some kind of clear and compelling definition that's going to help guide his own masculine soul as he moves through this world. So let me give you my definition of masculinity. I think masculinity comes down to two things and two things only. And they're really the same for a, a women as well, because it's really about our common humanity. Now, I learned this not only through my own life process, but I've been in pastoral ministry for almost 30 years now. And in my faith tradition, part of my job is to sit on the deathbed of dying people and help prepare them for the next stage of life, if you will. And here's what I know to be true for me, and I know to be true for every single man out there. If you were on your deathbed today, knowing that you were going to die tomorrow, and you wanted to measure what kind of man you were, what kind of success you had in life, it come down to two things and two things only. And the first is this. On that deathbed, you recognize that all of life is about relationships. It's about the capacity to love and to be loved. What's it mean to be a man? It means you can look somebody in the eye and say, I love you, and receive that love back. You know what the questions you ask at the end of your life? They're not about awards or achievements or applause or what you accumulated. They're all questions of relationships. What kind of husband was it? What kind of father? What kind of partner? What kind of son? What kind of friend? Who did I love and who did I allow to love me? Now you think about that socialization process of men in this country. Men aren't raised to be relationally successful. We're taught how to compare and compete with all the wrong definitions of what it means to be a man. You know what happens on that playground? Seven, eight-year-old boys already mandated to be a man, starting to repress, socialize. We start walking around that playground and boys police each other. 
and they want to find that one boy that's just a little too soft, just a little too gentle. And then we all gang up on that boy, and we tell that boy to stop acting that way. Stop with those tears. Stop with the emotions. Don't be a sissy. Be a man. And then as eight and nine-year-old boys, we walk away from that experience thinking, my goodness, I hope that never happens to me. And we start conforming, building out this facade, this machismo, in order to defend and deflect questions about our own masculinity. Now, what would happen in Baltimore in America if all the individuals, all the institutions came together and said this next generation of boys, we're going to teach them the essence, the epitome of what it means to be a man emanates from the heart. It's the heart that allows for attachment. It's the heart where passion, it's the heart where values, empathy, compassion resides. It's all about the heart that needs to be nurtured. First thing, it's all about relationships. Second thing about masculinity, again, if you're on your deathbed today, about to die tomorrow, wanted to measure what kind of man you were, what kind of success you had in life, it'd come down to this. At the end of your life, you want to be able to look back over life and know that you made a difference. You left some kind of mark, some kind of imprint that you were here. All of us want to leave some kind of legacy behind. Legacies are always built around two things. They're always built around relationships. And the second thing, they're always built around some kind of commitment to a cause. Every one of us has a responsibility to give back. And it's a challenge of every man, every woman to identify their own unique cause in life and how they're going to make a difference in this world. It's all about relationships and commitment to a cause. So what would happen again if all the coaches, all the athletic leagues, we not only nurtured boys' heart, rewired them uh, to live out of their hearts, wholehearted living, but we also helped them to discover their own cause, their own unique contribution in life. It's all about relationships, and it's all about commitment to a cause. So think about that for a moment in the context of sports. What is a team? A team is nothing more than a set of relationships for a cause. Every team has a common purpose. It's got performance goals and objectives. There's some kind of mutually accountable work ethic. But every team is always built around the trust, the respect, the integrity, the dignity of every team member. If a team is a set of relationships for a cause, more than that is an ideal place to help boys become men and guide and nurture. So my solution to many of the problems that we face in America today, is we need to reframe uh, uh, of sports. We need to redefine what it means to be a coach. And then we've got to rewire broken men that have separated their hearts from their head, and they've got to get connected. And then we've got to do the preventive work. As every young boy grows up, we've got to give them affirmations. We've got to give them some kind of validation about all of their emotions, all their feelings, all of their humanity. So the next time, the next time you see some man, some young boy, struggling with the tears, with the emotions, well, you think what would happen in this world if we walked up to that person and said, way to be a man, because men live out of the fullness of who and what they are. They live out of their hearts. And somewhere we've got to change the cultural milieu in here to make sure that when we tell a boy to be a man, we give him a clear, compelling definition. Masculinity, relationships, commitment to a cause. Thank you.
David, now that you've listened to that video, here's the question I will have for you when we return. It is this. As a vibrant young man with big dreams, what characteristics of manhood would you incorporate in your life to make a meaningful difference in your world? I'll be right back for your response, David. You are on the journey, and it's time for our question of the week. Well, our question of the week just happens to be the very question I'm asking David. As a vibrant person with big dreams, what characteristics of manhood would you incorporate in your life to make a meaningful difference in your world as a vibrant young person with big dreams? What characteristics of manhood would you incorporate in your life to make a meaningful difference in your world? David? First of all, that video was extremely eye-opening. I agree. I believe there are five characteristics of manhood I would like to incorporate in my life moving forward. G give me one. Relationship management. Okay, what's that? As a man, I think you should be able to tackle a tough conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here are some notes I made on that characteristic. Okay. Ask to understand their side of the argument. Mm -hmm. Resist to plan a comeback. Mm -hmm. Help them understand your side. Mm -hmm. Move the conversation forward. Mm -hmm. And make sure to keep in touch. Yeah. What is a tough conversation? Personally? Yes. Okay. Uh, maybe something I've done wrong, something I need to fix. Maybe just a sensitive topic overall. Let me see if I get it right. Ask to understand their side. Resist to plan a comeback. Help them understand your side. Move the conversation forward and keep in touch. Is that right? That is correct. Give me a second one. Genuine appreciation is something I would like to incorporate in my lifestyle. Okay. Emotional intelligence. In the context of what makes a man a man, how does that apply? Well, Neville, as a man, you should not only be self-aware, mm -hmm. you should also be able to manage yourself. Okay, <laughs> agree. <laughs> While being socially aware. Okay. And maintaining all of your relationships. Mm. Do not ridicule, condemn, or complain. Hmm. And last but not least, my so very favorite is be a friend. Hmm. Imagine this. You walk outside mm -hmm. to find a friend mm -hmm. and friends were nowhere. No. <laughs> you walk outside to be a friend and friends are everywhere. I like that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> David, this was your first show as a producer, 19-year-old. Uh, how did you, what was the experience like? Did you enjoy it? It was fantastic. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Now, I got an interesting question coming up. Uh, what question is that? How long will it take you 
to make a million dollars. Ah. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. Well, don't forget to check out David's next question. How long will it take you to make a million dollars? I'll see you next week.